around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth2u.org. That's truth number two, letter u.org. I'm John Owen. Joining me in the virtual Truth To You studio all the way from Ireland is Jason of spiritualbabies.net. G'day, mate. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. I'm missing you. We, uh, we had a month off, didn't we? We had a month, but we met up in Israel in the middle yep. of it for the, for the Tanakh tour. Boy, it was great. It was so awesome. And you took a whole lot of just spectacular photos, some of which you put in a coffee table book. Now, this is something I've been telling Tovia to do for ages with all of his uh, photos underwater and uh, scuba diving and all that, but he hasn't done it. And you beat him to it. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Oh, cool. We're plugging stuff. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> I did uh, I, uh, I, I did t- take a lot of photographs and some of the best ones. Um, I think there are 40, just over 40 of them. Um, I, I got put into a book. And you can go and get that book yourself online and they'll print it especially for you and send it to you. And uh, it covers um, pretty much everywhere we went. And they all look, um, they're all really nice. And they all have a white board around them, right? So you can pick maybe 10 of them and frame Who's them eating? Up. Wait a minute. I know, someone's Who's... eating crisps. Someone's <laughs> eating chips. Is that you, Tobia? Well, what did I do? Are you eating crisps or, or no? You're not. You're having. You're you're eating breakfast cereal, aren't you? I'm not doing anything. I'm behaving. Is, this is all Jason's fault. What's this noise in the back? Someone's <laughs> eating potato crisps or something. Anyway, please continue, Jason. Go on. <laughs> so, it's not me. If you want to, you can pick maybe your best 10, 15 of them and um, frame them because they have a white board around each one so it gives you some um, leeway. Um, but yeah, people can do that. I'm sure there'll be a link somewhere on this page. There is a link on this post where you can get Jason's Spiritual Babies photo coffee table book of the Tanakh tour most spectacular photos. And man, you really have got a talent, I have to say. Just incredible photos that you took. Uh, so that will be there. So if you want to get a, an idea of what you're going to see when you come on the Tanakh Tour 2016, because we're doing it again this November, that's a good place to start. Oh, and can I just say another another really good place to start is to go to any of your favorite social media places, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and put the hashtag, hashtag Tanakh Tour 2015, all one word, no spaces, into the search bar and press enter. Ooh, and you'll is. find everyone that, that used the hashtag while they're on the cut. You'll find thousands of pictures from There's actually literally of thousands of them, and yeah. I haven't even had time to look at all of them yet. But we had some very talented yeah, very. Uh, photographers, and not just yourself. Anna mm-hmm. did a very wonderful job. Sarah as well. Just everybody took some really good photos. Um, now, Indonesia. Now, one of the reasons why we brought Tovia was just so that I could say to everyone, we even had people from Indonesia on this tour. Which I really, I was kind of chuffed about. In Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2. We're going to be discussing uh, that book in just a moment. You can get a copy from his website, OutreachJudaism.org. OutreachJudaism.org. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Great to be back. I missed you guys a lot. Yeah, I know. I miss you as well. Israel was amazing. I'll tell you, I'm still, my feet still have not touched the ground. It was a life-changing experience. In fact, we had a lot of people say so. Yeah, well, you know, I warned them. I told them that you'll never be the same again. The person you knew, (laughs) that person is not there anymore. Is a new person. You Mm. really, the experience of walking through the scripture and just, you know, for those who didn't join us last year, we didn't go snorkeling. We we went we through Scripture. We walked through the Bible. That was just a very, very powerful experience for everyone. Indeed it was. And uh, so what, what we thought would be a, uh, a fun thing to do, a valuable thing to do, 
is to go through each location where we were. Now, of course, before I go any further, we did go uh, with Ross Nichols of Roots of Faith. Now, he's not with us at the moment because where he lives in Louisiana is an entirely different time zone altogether. He and I are going to catch up and we're going to talk about some of the places that, that he led the people through, like the Walk Up Masada, the Masada Challenge, as we put it. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later and some of the other places that he would like to highlight. I'm looking forward to that. But we thought we'd go through each location and just talk a little about uh, talk a little bit about where it is, what what we did there, and what its biblical significance is as well. Now, in this case, we're talking about Jaffa Port. Our tour began in Tel Aviv, and only a, I mean, I walked it. I, I did a what is it about a twenty minute walk? What is it south? I guess it must be uh, to Jaffa Port, and it's a beautiful old area. In fact, it's been around for a long, long time. And it's been uh, known for more recently for its uh, oranges, I think, mm. moving oranges out of the land through Jaffa Port. And also, I think the first mention of Jaffa is uh, in the book of Joshua. He makes mention of it. In Second Chronicles, it's mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Also in the book of Ezra, it's mentioned. Uh, and today, we're going to be talking about the, the story of Jonah because it opens, the, the story of Jonah opens uh, mentioning the book, the uh, the port of Jaffa, because that's where Jonah goes, well, God wants me to do something. I'm out of here. I don't want to do it. I'm going to go to Jaffa port. I'm going to leave from there uh, on a ship on my way to Tarshish. Toby, you're in, in uh, some Bible uh, English translations, it's Joppa. Some yeah. are, it's Jaffa. But in Hebrew, it's Yafo. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no... Uh, there's no J, J sound in the Hebrew language. Do we know what the word means, Yafo? Yafo means beautiful, like Yafa. Ah. Like, like uh, for instance, uh, one of the sons of Noah. Uh, to give, incidentally, people a sense of, when, when Jano says it's old, and you're going, how old is it? Well, it's so old that... I mean, quite literally, uh, Jaffa was used as a port long before the Jews ever uh, mm. went to Egypt, before the Exodus. In fact, Jaffa w- was, if you recall, when God say to, said to Abraham, leave your land, leave Mesopotamia, uh, come to a land like Goyu, Jaffa port was fully operational and was a major uh, port in the world uh, at the time, long before Abraham came along to the land of Israel. It is one of the oldest ports in the world. So you will find, of course, flowing right through the Jewish scriptures. When, when the first and te- second temple were built, so the materials, particularly mm. the, the wood, the cedar wood, that the famous uh, Hiram who was uh, the king of, of Tyre, he shipped in all kinds of materials for the temple to build the temple. And, of course, the great cedar wood from Lebanon, the Bible tells us, came straight to Jaffa port, which, of course, very close to Jerusalem, mm. which then brings us to the book of Jonah, because Jonah was a, a prophet who's, 
who was a, a Jerusalemite. So that makes sense because I was, I was going to ask you about that because it says in uh, Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, it says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I thought, to me, that says that he was a Jerusalemite and you've just confirmed that. That's interesting. Right. Before you go on, quickly, uh, Jason, I reckon, do you have Jaffa's there? You know, those little uh, confectionery? Yeah, actually, you know what, in London... That you, so you've got Cotney Ryman slang in London, and this might be a bit of, off colour, but if you can't conceive as a male, um, you're called a Jaffa. That's what the Cotney Ryman slang is. Because so why hasn't why isn't he had any kids? Because he's because they're seedless oranges. Oh right. Okay. <laughs> so that's an affectionate term for um, a person that's not fertile. So the seedless orange is named after the port because mm. it had a reputation for moving oranges. And the confectionery, which is that uh, that chocolate uh, covered, yeah, uh, what is it that with an orange middle? You know those ones. It must be named after the same. Do you have any? Now, when we got there, when the tour got there, we got there just in time to to get to the top of um, of the hill there overlooking Jaffa Port. Yeah, tell you and watch and watch the sunset, which yeah. was uh, and as as Tobia was saying, it means beautiful, and it certainly was. I mean, it was a spectacular sight. It was. Well, it's really kind of gorgeous. interesting. The name, the name. Um, there's lots of different um, sources um, that all kind of accredit the name, what, what it's associated with, and why it's called Jaffa. Is, um, Tavia said most people, um, Jewish sources, will name it after Japheth, the son of Noah. Um, but uh, there's, and, and uh, no, it's completely credible. Um, but different uh, <clears throat> uh, mythologies from different areas all associate their own version of why it's called to that name. But the um, what's interesting for me is that we we call it um, Yaffa. It has it's had the same name with only a small variant in spelling, and most of that time the spelling has changed because the the invading land hadn't included those that le- those letters or dialects. So sometimes the P was changed to an F, which you find quite a lot in the Middle East. Mm. Um, but it's, but what um, the the Jonah story is interesting for me because although there um, the whole of that coast is sea, right? There are other ports, but he chose the one with the with the forty meter. Um, hill on the end. Mm-hmm. Like he, like I get the impression that when he got into the water, he didn't want to lose sight of his homeland. So he picked a place with the highest mountain. He would pick the place mm-hmm. with the highest um, viewpoint. It's 130 feet we walked up to get to the top when we watched the really? sunset. And I imagine that that if you were on a boat, that's the part you look for when you look. That makes sense actually, because there's there's a uh, Toby. There's a, a lighthouse up there, right? I think there's a lighthouse yeah. there. Yeah, there is. And so you would put the lighthouse up. I got very excited about what you all said there. Uh, I I feel like we're back in Torah pearls. But you both you both alluded to something very important. Um, Jason, uh, in fact, the idea that Hashem created the world with the Hebrew language, therefore the Hebrew language would have been the first language used. Is found in in the book of Psalms, and it's in fact the blessing that Jewish people make over much many things, and what um, and so therefore I don't I don't know of a source specifically that says that this town the port was named after Noah's son, but rather Noah's son and this port were named 
you know, for beauty, which is a, a word that already existed. Mm-hmm. And it would be understandable that, you know, you'd have a development of all these Semitic-based languages like Akkadian and so on in in that region. There's actually, what you said, John, was brought down the Talmud because what you said that he, so the Hebrew is very interesting that he ran from God because mm. you can't run from God. But the text, there actually is an extra Hebrew letter in the text. And it says there, Vayokam Yoino, Yona got up, Levroyach, Tashisha, to run to Tashish, Milifnei Hashem. That means exactly what you just said. He could have said, Mifnei Hashem, from God. But you can't run from God. God is everywhere. His mm. glory fills the word. You can't run from God. But you can run from the presence of God. Right. Ah, and that's ex- this is a major piece in the Talmud that discusses the fa- on that word that you raise that you raise that he literally ran from the presence of God, and that's why the word is the kind of word that conveys that he is in the temple. He was in the the place of, of worship, the central place of, uh, of the central spiritual fountain of the mm. world. And so is it fair to say then, I mean, it just seems fairly plain that he thinks that if he goes, the further away from Jerusalem he goes, uh, the less likely he's to be uh, in tune, if you like, uh, receiving messages from, from God and that perhaps he can escape if he puts some distance between himself and the temple. Is that I, I don't think so. I don't think so because I don't think that's rational. Well, what's going through his mind? Uh, so you have to first ask yourself the question, the, the question is, what is Yonah's father's name? So his name, we're told in the Bible, is Ben Amitai. Amitai. Mm. This is a very unusual name. What is that word name? Well, actually, it's an allusion to something very important, that he is Jonah, the son of Emes, which means truth. So what does this all mean? So our sages read this all the exact same way. Obviously, it's preposterous that you can, you could, you can hide from God. Mm-hmm. You notice the language. I don't know how the translations have it. But it says, Vayokom Yona, and Yokom got up. That's easy. Levroyach, which means to run away, which means he wants nothing to do with this. It doesn't say to hide from God, to disconnect. But to, I want nothing to do with this this whole plan, and it's it's when we look at Jonah chapter four, we're getting a lot of information of what Jonah is basically saying is, I can't be a part of this. I have to disconnect from this, because what we are going to discover, because or else nothing makes sense. What are you? You're a prophet. You can't run away from God in the, mm. in a in a in a in his pedestrian sense, but what he's saying is, I've got to disconnect from this for many, mm-hmm. many reasons. Now, reasons are obvious. Number one, how, if in fact the city of Nineveh would repent, there would be consequences for that. Most very striking is how would it make the Jewish people look, who have not, who who who've been very hard to bring to repentance. It mm-hmm. would. So Jonah is very much the opposite of Elijah, incidentally. He's always juxtaposed against Elijah. Elijah is zealous for the Lord and his complaint to God, the Jews are all worshipping Baal, and God 
in a sense, chastises him, saying 7,000 are faithful. Jonah's the other, the other end of the spectrum. He's a prophet that's so dedicated to the Jews that he does not want anything to do with this project that could possibly put the Jews in a position that will make them look bad. Moreover, you have to, I'll ask the both of you a question. You know, you know, if, um, you know, if let's say uh, members of ISIS or some very cruel society mm. today, if North Korea would say, I'm sorry, would you want God to forgive them? If the Arabs... Well, I can, t- I can tell you this much. If God said to me, <laughs> I, even, I even get a shudder just saying this aloud, and, uh, but I'll say it. Uh, if God were to say to me, I went to uh, Syria and tell ISIS to repent, I think I'd probably have a go at hiding somewhere too. And, mm. and it's a exactly. fair point that you make. Yeah. Well, Jason, what goes through your mind? Yeah, I'd find that a very difficult thing to do. And that's one of the things, uh, when I read the text at the beginning there, when he, when he says he, um, he, he ran from um, God, I think that part of that is his uh, mental state. So I find it interesting when he goes onto the boat this, this, you know. So you're a, a you're a devout Jewish man with a great relationship and love for God, and you're on a boat, and a storm comes up. You know, the, you think the first thing you do would be to pray, but he doesn't pray. He hides in the in the hull and tries to go to sleep, while all the other sailors are calling out to their gods. He's trying absolutely not to do that. Mm-hmm. And when they come and wake him up and say, "How can you sleep?" Where are you from? He gives them no information other than the fact he's a Hebrew and that he worships his God. And then they say, well, why aren't you doing anything? (laughs) Um, So I think that a lot of that, although he was physically trying to separate himself from God, I think he was also trying to close his uh, mind off to that dialogue as well. Which is exactly what I would be doing if God told me to go and speak to ISIS. Because it says in chapter 3, verse 8, the king, I I think, says to everyone, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. And that's really all the information, Tobia, that we have. But that's uh, a big piece. That's that's a a big big chunk. I'll tell you what is implied in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a big conundrum that our sages ask. Is like, why did God send Jonah to Nineveh? I mean, that was the only bad city in the world. So, I mean, that that requires a mass examination of, like, why why did God um, take have mercy, mercy on Nineveh to send Jonah there? There was mm-hmm. nowhere else in the world that people were were being wicked. Now, clearly, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, so certainly that would play. But there is a key about Nineveh that that set it apart, and that is they weren't idol worshippers there. And you'll notice in the the way that what they're castigated for and how they repent is they're repenting for essentially the. The, the the sins of of cruelty and dishonesty mm-hmm. and robbery, but there wasn't the idolatry that they were hiding. That oh, they that's were a good point. For. So the, there is a distinction. There is I just Jonah really is just is just very delicious. But you know how Jonah is really troubled by this because Jonah is a man of truth and like these are just people who have just been acting terribly. And Lord, you you destroyed the world. Uh, you know, uh, a couple thousand years ago uh, because of robbery and so on. Mm. And you see that at the end of the book of Jonah, when Jonah goes on to describe the attributes, the famous attributes of God that we find in Torah, that God is uh, El Racham Khan is merciful and so on, so forth, it ends with MS. That's the last attribute of God, that your truth. You notice that Jonah takes that out. 
And so, so Jonah reads that, in the book of Jonah, that reads a little bit differently, that you are one who is easy, that is gracious, and slow to anger, and so on, and relenting to uh, to punish. So Jonah actually changes the text that we find in the Torah. So it really is coming through. That Jonah is having a lot, a lot of trouble. There's one other point that has to be made, and that is... Our sages tell us, obviously, that Jonah as a prophet had, had a way of seeing the future. Bear in mind, what would have happened if Jonah had not gone to Nineveh? That means Assyria would not have repented. If Assyria would not have repented, it would have been destroyed. Mm-hmm. If it would have been destroyed, that means the Assyrian Empire would never have invaded the land of Israel and mm-hmm. destroyed the ten northern tribes. So there is, in Jewish tradition, that Jonah also is envisioning this is just something I can't be connected to, because in every way, this is going to spell be a catastrophe for the Jewish people. It's going to make them look bad. Now, I don't know how you can ever forgive them. Like you said, John of God said, go and tell ISIS to repent, and they're chopping people's heads off. You're going, I don't know if I can be a part of that. It's Mm. hard to know until you're in his position. Mm. This is a tremendous conundrum he's he's going through, and he, that's why he runs. He just, I don't want to be part. It even gets interesting, even more, if I may, it's very interesting that he runs. So he first he runs on a ship. So now he's in a sort of uh, he's in a space, and then of course, as Jason described, as a the big the the big storm comes. And then if you notice, he he so he finally he's thrown overboard after he explains to them mm-hmm. that I'm the problem, and a fish swallows him. By the way, fish here does not mean non-mammal. It means a marine animal. In mm. the Bible, it just means a marine animal. It doesn't mean as we mean. Do we assume it is a whale? I mean, is that a fair assumption? No, I mean, no one has we an don't idea. Know. Obviously, it's a miracle that he was mm. able to survive. I mean, that's all we could say. But what is very interesting is, is that he's going from an open space of being in Jerusalem, runs to Yaffa, where we went on our tour. He gets on a boat, a more enclosed place. He then goes into a, a fish, that he cries out to God, and he says, okay, I'm ready. I have nowhere else to go. I can't, I have nowhere else to flee. It's an interesting thing about it. I mean, the, the theme of being inside a fish has been borrowed, uh, particularly in, I, I don't know about ancient history, if it's in any other stories, but certainly in modern history, we have uh, the story of Pinocchio, the, right. the Disney produced, and also more recently, Nemo, right? <laughs> That's right. Now, Toby, this has got to be one of your favorite films. Nemo Nemo ended up... No, his father, Marlon. Marlon ended up inside a whale with Dory, and uh, and there they were were doomed forever and ever, but uh, finally was was spat out of the spout of the whale and uh, ended up where they had to go. I suppose there's a lot that you could kind of parallel uh, between that film and, and, and the story of Jonah. Jason, what goes through your mind? It's interesting. Uh, I I did a a program on Jonah with um, uh, Rabbi Federo, and he um, alludes to this. Uh, it's a it's a Christian story, I suppose. But he uh, he alludes to um, Jesus walking through heaven, and he gets to the place where everyone makes all the things, and he he's looking for his dad, and um, he sees this carpenter, and uh, Jesus goes over and goes, "Oh, uh, hi!" And the carpenter goes, "Hi!" And he goes, oh, "I was looking for my um, earthly father," and he says, "Oh, I was looking for my earthly son." He says, um, "He says, 
is there anything special you can tell me about you? And he says, well, I've been the carpenter since my birth. What about you? And he says, um, well, you know, I used to be, um, I used to be something and now I'm something else. And I have hands in my holes and my feet and people put me on display and, did you say I have hands in my holes? Uh, sorry, I have hands in my holes. <laughs> really. I have holes in my hands and my feet, and people put me on display. And and um, he goes, "Well, you sound just like my son." And Jesus goes, "Joseph." And Geppetto goes, "Pinocchio." <laughs> well, it's interesting because um, you can you can read just from a few different key plot points. If you take if you take out the context of the story, you can often make any story into any story. Um, and something like a way, because it's very interesting when I read Jonah and I see that, because um, in the New Testament, I'm sorry to go this way, but in the New Testament, um, Jesus said, my sign will be the sign of Jonah. And there's a very interesting part in Jesus' story when he's on a lake and that lake is going crazy and he's yeah. in the hull of a boat and asleep. Yeah. And and the disciples had to wake him up and said, and hey, you yeah. know, we're going to die. Do you want to do something about this? Right. And when Jonah does that, he takes he takes responsibility for what's happening and has himself run over. And when Jesus does it, he calls out to a God of the sea. And that strikes me as being two violently different things. Jonah puts the whole, um, Jonah puts the whole power and glory of the situation into God's hands. And Jesus puts it into his own. Anyway, so <laughs> that was a, <laughs> that well, was this is, this is very down. powerful because the most striking part of the book of Jonah is that this people who are wicked, repents and God forgives them. You would think that if the book of Jonah were quoted in the Christian Bible, the most salient feature, it's the close from chapter 3, verse 10 till the end. That's what's striking. And strangely enough, it's not in there. But Jonah is used as a a model for... um, for the disbelief of the Jews, that the Jews... This know, is so bizarre, Toby. Now, you go into some detail highlighting this in your book. Again, this is uh, on page 86 and 87. You know page, of the, I don't even know what page I've got it in front of me. Volume <laughs> 1, this is, um, let's get biblical, why doesn't Judaism accept, accept the Christian Messiah? And if you haven't got a copy already, dear listeners, you will not regret it. I do insist, I, I highly recommend getting this book you're going to get this in a lot more detail. But what Toby is talking about is the fact that in Matthew and I think in Luke, uh, Jesus says, you know, they, they say to him, look, give us a sign, give us a sign, do a magic trick for us. And we'll and he says, look, you, no sign will be given uh, except the sign of Jonah. So this is the only sign uh, via Jesus's profession of his messiahship. Is, can I say that? He says, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah for as, for as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights so too will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And of course, no ma- now, you know what this reminds me of? When I was still in the church, Toby, it was like one, it was a bit of a, a, a oh, mastermind. Like? Or, I'm well, kidding, go ahead. It was <laughs> like, for this particular thing, it was like, you know, like a Rubik's Cube, like it was a puzzle, a puzzle to be solved. I just thought, how do we make this work? Because obviously, you know, the whole Easter period, we've got Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's not three days and three nights. And and uh, and yet this is what Jesus said. So how, what actually happened? And I was determined to figure this out. And I, I'll never forget, I had, I was having lunch at, at my place with Bob Mendelssohn from Jews for Jesus. Really? Right? Yeah. Wow. And I was, this I came up in. TV show of them all. <laughs> this came up in conversation. <laughs> And I can't remember how. And Bob said to me, you'll never make it work. 
and I was really put out by that. And I thought, no way. How can you say that? Of course, it must work. There's something in the text that makes it work. It must. And I was determined to find out what that was. And I spent a long time studying it. And, uh, and I hated to say at the time, uh, because I was still in the church, but Bob was right. You just can't make it work because uh, to, to use all four Gospels, there's something in each of them to knock that castle down. There's no way that you can get three days and three. And yet, this is what Jesus says. No sign will be given, none, no sign except for this one thing, and it doesn't stack up. Now, the other thing, of course, is, uh, so there's that. That's the mention of, of Jonah in the New Testament. But the theme, as you were saying, Toby, of, of Jonah, uh, or one of the major themes of Jonah, is that God forgives Gentiles without the use of a blood sacrifice. Take us through this theme, Toby. Yeah, I mean, the, the, book, of, the book of Jonah is, is, is an indictment from which the church cannot flee. And that is in Christian theology, uh, except for whoever wrote Luke Acts, except for that author, but in Pauline theology, according to whoever wrote Mark, the only way that you can atone for your sin is through a sacrifice. The book of Hebrews chapter 9.22 very clearly states uh, that without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. It's a misquote of Leviticus 17.11. So, and what's also critical is that the Christians who say that, that there's nothing you can do, there's, and this was, is very big for Ray Comfort, there's nothing you can do, there's no action of your own that can atone for your sins. You can't make yourself right. You can't vindicate yourself. Well, that's then throw away the whole book of Jonah. The whole purpose of the Jonah, book of Jonah is exactly opposite. Chapter 3, verse 10, the people there hear him, they listen and they mm -hmm. repent and they turn away and God forgives them. And this it's very interesting also because Jonah is full of the language is so important. So you say like God like lied or he said the city would be overturned. But it's interesting that it, the language of Jonah is God is you just talk about how the New Testament is so inaccurate and you can't work anything out and nothing works. If you take Jonah, Jonah is the antithesis of that. In the book of Jonah, if you then walk it back, you'll see that Jonah actually said to the people, in 40 days, the city will be overturned. Mm. And that's a very interesting language because obviously it was overturned because the whole word teshuvah means oh, to, turn to turn away. Oh, ah, yes, so exactly. So it's, it's like if you want to see Jacob and Esau, meaning you want to see the Tanakh, juxtaposed against the New Testament. The New Testament is, first of all, strips the most central feature of the book of Jonah, which is read in every synagogue on Yom Kippur for mm -hmm. a reason that I don't need to explain. So that's, I mean, that's the centerpiece of mm -hmm. everything. The New Testament strips out its most central feature and puts in the part of, like, I, I'm greater than Jonah, Jesus is saying, and you won't listen to me. The, also, there's, of course, the contrast between the synoptic gospel where Jesus uh, refuses to do science to show that he is mm. who he claims to be, in contrast to John, who is using miracles in order to demonstrate that he is, so that you can see sure. there's an the enormous shift there. Jason? What I find interesting around... Um, 
this is that Jonah comes in. He doesn't actually reach the king. Jonah gets a day into the city and is giving his warning, and the warning reaches the king. And what the king doesn't do is gather up all of the bulls, gather up all of the sheep. I want to do a mass offering and trying to appease this god. Mm. He does what every Jew does on Yom Kippur. And he says himself, let everyone call urgently on God, and he proclaims a fast. He fasts, and he prays, and he prays, and he fasts. He has all the animals, all the people, stop doing what they're doing, cover themselves in sackcloth, sackcloth mm. and ashes, and um, repent. And if on um, the afternoon, I think it's of Yom Kippur, isn't it, Tobia? J- Jonah's the portion that's read in the synagogue. Yes, mm. exactly correct. Hey, I, I'm very moved, I don't know about you, I'm very moved by Jonah's ability to persuade uh, those who are within ear's reach of repenting. I mean, you think about how persuasive he was even on the ship, and they were very eclectic, which is very striking. It's very typically pagan. We're on the ship as the storm is coming in. Mm. Uh, the, the the captain announces, everyone pray to your God. That could never happen in a monotheistic world. You could never have a Muslims going to the Hindus, you pray to your gods, and no, that would right. never happen. Of course. <laughs> right. That's very... See, this is how, it's so realistic. I mean, the whale part, we, you know, obviously something we, but this is exactly the ancient world. In the ancient world, it, they're so eclectic that you just pray to your, that's why as a Jew, I've never been beaten up by a Buddhist or a Hindu. Right. Like, because they don't, you know, sure, you You're have your the gods, and it's like, yeah, you have your gods. The ancient world, that's why, by the way, you know, Judaism had a respect from the Roman Empire. Christianity, they really couldn't stand because, you know, Christianity was really about what you believe. Very, very strong. Because they, they stripped away really what you do. So it's everything's about what you believe. That's why they nearly would constantly kill each other about how come you're not believing what I believe. But they were very eclectic on the ship. Everyone prayed to your God. And then Jonah is confronted, like, why aren't you doing the same? And, jo- you know, and when he explains to them who he is and why he's the problem, they get it. I mean, he they get it. Was verse sixteen one great says, creature. "Yeah, yeah." Well, in verse sixteen, it says, "The men feared uh, the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and took vows." That's interesting, Toby. They do on the ship, yeah. uh, but when it comes to Nineveh, uh, as, uh, you know, as Jason pointed out. I mean, look, having been in a, in a whale or a fish, whatever it was, for three days and three nights, you'd be pretty um, motivated by the time you get to Nineveh to do a pretty good job, right, I'm thinking. And evidently, uh, Jonah did, and they, uh, the people uh, began to repent. And, and as Jason mentioned, then news reaches the king, and the king says, okay, do this, do this, do this. Let, let everyone turn from his evil way and, and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell? if God will relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then it says, as you keep highlighting verse 10, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. And Jonah was displeased. He was pretty ticked off. And he says to God, look, you are gracious and you're a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And he said, look, you know, he wanted to, he said, just do me in now because I'd be happy to die right now. I mean, I can't, you know, if God would have told me to go to the Vatican after World War II and call Mm. upon it to repent for 
collaborating with the Nazis mm. and setting up a, a place for Nazis to flee. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, can I say I wouldn't do it? I'd do it, I guess. I don't know. I, I would feel sick doing that. So I understand, uh, I understand Jonah's conundrum and certainly is that his people would not look bad. He leaves out, as I said, he changes the attribute of God because it's, it's like, what do you mean? And what is this, how is this going to make the Jewish people look? But most importantly, this is totally ignored by the New Testament. It's not like the New Testament never yeah, heard nothing, of the book. Nothing of it. And I think, and I think, Tavia, one of the highlights of, of the uh, story of Jonah really is those closing verses. I might read them, if I may, from verse 4 of chapter 4, uh, because Jonah is pretty ticked off. And the Lord says, listen, is it right for you to be so angry? And so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under uh, it in the shade until uh, he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that he can give him some shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. <laughs> Poor Jonah. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He was grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm so that it damaged the plant and withered it. And it happened that when the sun rose, that God prepared a vehement east wind. That's what I've got. And that the sun beat on Jonah's head so that uh, he grew faint. And he wished death upon himself and said, oh, it was better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, listen, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, is it right for me to be angry? It is, even to death. But the Lord said, uh, you have had pity on the plant for which you have mm. not labored. You didn't make it grow, uh, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand mm. and much livestock? And that's the way it ends. It's very unusual. That means that the book of Jonah, Hashem's defense, shall we say, does not appeal to what we would expect, does not even mention the repentance. Ultimately, Hashem says that they were unlike Sodom. There were people here who were didn't know the one from the other. Mm-hmm. You're mourning over the death, the destruction of a gourd, which your hand didn't create. I, God, created them. Mm. And I mean, so this, this all goes back to Abraham. This all goes back to the conversation that Abraham has with God. It just fits in perfectly where Hashem says, yeah. you're mourning and weeping over a gourd that gave you a sense of comfort. You had nothing to do with the creation of this gourd, nor its untimely destruction. Mm. Yet you're un- unhappy and dissatisfied with the fact that people who didn't know one hand from the other uh, were forgiven and went without uh, without a judgment. And then that's so powerful. Mm. I mean, and, and, you know, you could just cry, you know, when you... You know, when you think about all these really good Christians, and they are, you know, the older I get and the more I, I, I talk to them and speak to them and listen to them, the more I like them. And that's why, in a sense, I, I want to, like, like, hold them by the shoulders going, you're, 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 you, you understand uh, something about God. Why, why not see this here? The great mercy, the way that Hashem forgives, that there are people who are not responsible for, for their actions, who don't know one part from the other. Why, are, why don't you see this? And you can see why the New Testament would appeal 
you know, would appeal to this, you know, would appeal to the three days and three nights and that you mm-hmm. listen to the rebuke of Jonah, but this generation does not. Mm, that's amazing. Running out of time, Jason, what, what are your parting thoughts, my friend? Well, I'm um, going back to the tour. Um, Jaffa was um, a couple of, um, it was maybe what, an hour we, we did. We, um, we looked around the village and city mm. and then we went up onto the hill. Um, and I hadn't really given time to um, think about um, Jonah and his kind of legging it away from this city onto a boat. When, when I was there, I was too taken in by the scenery and the sunset. But God willing, next year, um, I'll be able to um, play this back and um, before we um, ascend the tell and um, have my mind a little bit more focused on um, one man's plight to do the right thing, even if the right thing was the wrong thing for him. Mm. When I was, uh, when, I, when we were there, it was very powerful. That was the beginning of, a, of an extraordinary tour. And we were there at the port of Jaffa, and all of history passed through there. Everyone had seen this. Everyone had been there. It's all over the scriptures, he said. And it's, it, it's a very powerful uh, image. It's beautiful. It's, uh, for those who have not seen it, join us. Uh, it's a it's a huge cliff that overlooks the, the port that dates back literally to the beginning of human time. It literally this cliff, this port, witnessed all of the patriarch passed through this area, mm. the prophets passed through this area, and it had witnessed all time. And please God, uh, it will witness the coming of the Messiah quickly in our time. But this yeah, is maybe, maybe a whole of scripture moves right through there. So we'll be there. We'll be doing it all again uh, November next year, 2016 in November. Uh, you can secure your place on the Coming Tanakh Tour by putting a deposit. Uh, and in fact, you know what? If you put a deposit in 2015, you'll get an early bird discount of 5%. So you don't want to miss out on that. There will be a link on this post. Jason, is there a photo in your beautiful coffee table book of uh, the Jaffa Sunset? Yes, there is. <laughs> is there really? Oh, that's great. Yeah, there I is. know you got some really good <laughs> ones. Okay. There's also a link on this post for Jason's book. And don't forget Rabbi Tobias Singer's book, Let's Get Biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes 1 and 2. Not to mention TV. right, is where people can see all of your videos. Thank you, gentlemen, for coming back on to Truth To You. And until next time, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom.